Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Spirit of Grace Church. We're so glad that you're able to be with us tonight, and we trust that your week is going well. We want to invite you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. I want to read two different scriptures, um, and then I want to talk to you tonight um, about being dispossessed possessors. Dispossessed possessors. And I, I hope it makes sense here by the end. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. And as you're preparing for that, we want to remind all of you about the upcoming events at Spirit of Grace Church. Uh, this Friday evening, you can come and be a part of our women's event. They've got several vendors. There's going to be shopping and food and fellowship. And you don't have to buy anything. You just come and have a good time. If you have any uh, questions, you can see that on our website. Then also on December 4th and 5th, it's a Saturday and a Sunday, Saturday evening at 6 p.m. and Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m., we want to invite you to our annual Christmas presentation. And our praise team has been working very hard and putting, I think it's 12 or 13 new songs together, maybe 11 songs that are brand new um, that we haven't done before. But that's always a great time of fellowship and uh, entering into the Christmas season together with a good night of worship. And uh, we're going with two uh, opportunities again this year, Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. And so we're looking forward to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the, uh, the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? And then 1 Corinthians 3.21 says, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. And uh, I want to, again, talk about dispossessed possessors. These two scriptures seem to be contradictory, but we're going to hopefully explain to you um, why they're not. It, the, oftentimes when somebody tries to state the whole truth, even in scripture, uh, it often pushes us into what we would think of at times be contradictory. Paul found it this way, as did Jesus himself. Think of the statement such as this, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life shall keep it unto eternal life. Or one again says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And then Jesus goes on to say, Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. So it seems to be contradictory statements. And so on the face of these uh, statements or passages or utterances, um, they seem to be contradictory, but when they are probed to the very depths of their meaning, I believe they're found to be uh, harmonious parts of a whole concept. And when you put these two passages in Corinthians together, uh, in the, the text that we have, you're not your own, but all things are yours, uh, it seems to contradict themselves when really they stand really in the closest of connections. And picture it, if you will, each one is a hemisphere. And together they form the whole. On their own, they form one aspect of it, uh, of principle. But when they're combined, when there is, you are not your own, and then all things are yours, it sounds contradictory, two different parts, but when they're put together, it's powerful. And I believe that Paul is writing, and he's trying to let the, the believer know that you and I must be dispossessed of ourselves. And this comes through sacrifice, and it comes through giving things up and laying ourselves at the foot of the cross. 
And uh, then it also means that we're possessed of Christ. So if, if someone becomes dispossessed of ourselves, possessed by Christ, then that person in turn, because of, of Christ, becomes a possessor of all the wealth that actually sweeps the far reaches of the universe. We are heirs of the salvation that Christ has given us, and part of that salvation is the resources that he has at his hand. So on the first side of the coin of a true believer is the statement, you are not your own. And the flip side says, you are Christ's. Uh, another translation states that you belong to Christ. You see, the second statement of all all being ours or all being yours, according to 1 Corinthians 3, it's easy to hear. We like to hear how God wants to bless us and how he wants to give things to us and and it's it's the more appealing of the two statements, and we get excited about what God wants to do for us. But what we're not so enthused about is the profound truth of the fact that this vast blessing or wealth opens up to us once we renounce ourselves in favor of another, and that other is obviously the Lord of all. And so you are not your own. It is this dispossession of from which we naturally recoil. It's, it's, we don't like giving up or not becoming ourselves. We're self-willed, self-centered, self-assertive individuals and creatures, if you will, that we insist on belonging to ourselves. And we must manage our own affairs. We must carve out some grand destiny for ourselves. We must watch out for numero uno, number one, the person that is the most important, ourself. And instead of really taking care of ourselves, looking out for ourselves by giving us or everything we are to God and enriching it with the goods that uh, that you can't really buy at Walgreens or Target or a supermarket or a real estate office, we tend to concentrate more on the tangible, perishable items and virtues. And, and then we wonder, like Solomon did, we get to the end of our life and we ask ourselves the question and, and everything seems so empty and lonely and we wonder what we've missed. We become like the man that said, I have worked all my life for food and clothes and now the food doesn't agree with me and the clothes don't quite fit. And uh, there are masses of people that are described by the following lines. lines. They live for themselves, they think for themselves, for themselves and for none beside, just as if Jesus had never lived, as if he had never died. You see, we become so possessed of our own things, and, and, and we need to become dispossessed of them. We need to lay ourselves out. Did you catch the last phrase of that statement? As if he had never died. As if Jesus had never died. Whether you like it or not, Jesus of Nazareth has been in this world. And since he has been here, the world cannot be the same. And by his living, by his coming to this earth, by him walking and talking, he has given us a new concept of life, and by his dying, he put a new claim upon that life. And so Christ himself stated that his meat and drink was the will of, of the Father. He went on to say, I came not to be ministered to, but to minister. I want to read that as, I came not to be ministered to, but to be ministered. I dispossessed myself of what was really mine so that I could take care of everybody that I needed to take care of. And if you read the scripture even further, he presents that bride to himself. And um, 
he, he gains back and possesses the people that, that, that he ministers to. It's the concept of life. But don't leave it in that abstract concept. It's also the mindset that lays claim upon your life and my life. If you watch Jesus move sinlessly across the stage of mankind and of history, and notwithstanding his sinlessness, we see him die for sinners like me. When I see him meet hate with love, impurity with holiness, fear with courage, irritation with patience, malice with mercy, deceit with honesty, and injustice with righteousness, then I know of a surety that in those things he has revealed to us a key to life. Without doubt, the meaning of life based off of Jesus' reaction and Jesus' life is absolutely the power of ministering to another, of dispossessing or grabbing a hold of, grasping after that which you are worthy supposedly to grasp after and giving that up on behalf of another. And this is the power by which my life and your life can be changed and remolded so as to enable that you and I can realize what Christ wants for us as well. Excuse me. And so with the velocity of a straight arrow, this is the question that drives into my heart. Am I my own or do I belong to Christ? Of course, Christ belongs to us by his act upon the cross, but that's not the question. The question is, but do I belong to him? It is the question that we've been attempting to answer for several months, even at Spirit of Grace Church, when we talked through our boot camp and we talked about what are you watching, what are you looking at, what are you hearing, uh, being in sync, uh, being submitted, surrendering ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what What we're really trying to do is ask the question, what do I need to do to be totally belonging to him? And the flip side of that question today is, does your world know that you're that you belong to him? Do your friends and your coworkers know that you belong? It's one thing to for them to know that you go to church, that you have Christ in your life, that because they understand that that Christ is yours, but have you revealed that you belong to Christ? Does the ownership of your life has that been passed over from your hands? To the hands of the master? Does his sovereignty extend all the way to the depths of your very being? Or do you have places and areas of your life that you have closed off to the moving of Christ? Does it originate in the deepest part of your soul and, and carry to the very circumference of your life? Do you belong to Jesus? I, I found it very interesting. Uh, 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 I, I'm fascinated by this man's story. But at the commemoration of the 100-year birthday of General William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, there was an article that contained this phrase about the general. It said this, William Booth, king among men, so long as the world counts service, the badge of royalty. It's obvious still to this day, if you just look at what Salvation Army does, the general service has been recognized. But the question becomes, Where does the secret of such service lie as it came from the heart and the hand of William Booth? And the answer lies in a statement by William Booth to Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman near the end of his life. The doctor asked, General Booth, 
what would you say has been the one chief secret of your life and the blessings that have attached, attended it? And the, and the general simply replied this, the secret is this, I long ago resolved that God should have all there is of William Booth. I love that. I resolved long ago that God should have all there is of William Booth. Can you say the same? Can I say how long ago I resolved that God should have all there is of Tim Sanders? And then you fill in your blank. Can you answer that question truthfully? Are you dispossessed of yourself or not? That's what it is. Dispossessed of self, possessed of Christ. And because you possessed of Christ, you become a possessor of all things. Dispossessed possessors. And over the last several months at Spirit of Grace Church, we have concentrated really on committing ourselves to God and having God become the centerpiece of our life. And, and we've really attempted to place our life upon the altar of sacrifice of where it needs to be. And really what we've done for the most part is that we have dispossessed ourselves of ourselves in the presence of God because we knew that we wanted what God had for us. And so tonight, I, I'm not here to look for more commitment. I, I'm not looking for more sacrifice. But I want to release into your spirit tonight something that will repeat itself over and over again, is that if you have dispossessed yourself, then there are some things that you need to get ready to possess. There are some things, once you lay down your agendas, your uh, ideas, and, and, and your thoughts and processes, that God wants to replace them with his. I believe this, and this statement is going to sound just kind of crazy, but the first thing that you possess is the world. Yes, I want to say that again. The first thing that you possess, if you have dispossessed yourself, now you belong to Christ, now you possess the world, because Christ is, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It, it sounds even a bit audacious by me saying that, and maybe it hits you as a surprise, but... We have often thought of believers as having little to do with the world as possible. In fact, we often claim to shy away from the world, flee the world, separate from the world, oppose the world, try to escape from the world, if you will. Yet Paul boldly declares that the world is ours if only we belong to Christ. And so in a certain respect, this is, the, it, it, this is in the way that we define terms. There is a world in which men have fashioned a world of business, a world of politics, a world of pleasure from which Christ is ruled out. And it's to a large extent an artificial world, a pagan world, an unworthy world. And if we have the mind of Christ, quite frankly, this world doesn't belong to us nor we to it. But there is another world, partly of God's making, partly of man's, that is quite different. It's a world of mountains and lakes, of flowers and birds of summers and winters of music and art and culture and love it's in the deepest and highest meaning of the word no one can possess this world quite like the the believer now mind you ownership in this realm is not so much nearly a matter of money with which to purchase or title deeds to which you may point to with pride but it is a matter of artistic and spiritual appreciation i i read of a man several years ago now, there was a man and a wife that lived in Michigan who for years lived on the brink of absolute poverty. 
they were, however, supremely followers of Christ and secondarily lovers of nature, and their little flower gar garden was a work of art. They tended it with carefulness and tenderness of a great love, and a short distance from where they lived was the mansions and the estates of some of Detroit's finest. It, and it's really true to say that this humble couple with the brand marks of Christ upon them came far nearer to owning the world than most of the millionaires that were around them, whose legal holdings were far greater and whose appreciation were far more meager. You see, they could see the world and it was part of who God gave them. You see, the atheist and the evolutionist cannot hope to appreciate the world around them near as much as the believer uh, that knows the one who made the world. It's why I've said oftentimes, to be an atheist and or an evolutionist, you have to have greater faith than a believer of Christ. It's with far greater certainty, quite frankly, that we possess that which is in our realm than those that think we are a bunch of uh, gases that crashed into each other in the archaic ages. In fact, the flower means more to you and I if we belong to Christ than to a scientist that tries to explain that particles happen to come together to create all the different kinds of flowers around us. But if, even if you go further than that, we can appreciate the weeds even more than the scientist does. You see, the world is not the only thing that we possess if we are dispossessed, but Paul claims that we have possessed life. Now, some believe that life is to be escaped, as the Buddhists do. And, and many of those that are not dispossessed in the world believe, or is it something to be grasped or fulfilled or made significant? And if we have taken a hold of life at its center and made it ours, then we'll be able to handle whatever comes out of life at any point in our circumference of time. Life has been conquered by Christ, and if we are dispossessed of ourselves and possessed of Christ, that life is now ours. It's kind of like the scripture that he writes in Galatians. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, the question sometimes arises, do you find life worth living? I say no. You do not find life worth living. You make life worth living. And the secret of making life is found joyously and achieving in the uh, surrendering of ourselves to Jesus Christ. Jesus did not find life worth living. He had to make it so. What he found in our world was hate and jealousy and envy and misunderstanding and betrayal and sorrow and a cross. Did he surrender to these things? No. He made them surrender to him. Even in the cross, life was submitting itself to him. He seized them and made them more profitable. And when life treated him to its most vile attributes, spitting in his face, nailing him to that tree, he took a hold of that cross and fashioned it, if you will, into a ladder of love and light that he climbed to his throne of leadership and lordship in the hearts of the millions of people that have followed him since then. Yes, life belonged to him. And when we belong to him, then life belongs to us. In fact, I can hear him as he talks one day with his followers. There's no easy road 
that's being described on this day. He says this, They shall lay their hands on you and deliver you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my sake. But he didn't stop with those words. He went on to say this, And it shall turn to you for a testimony. There you have it. That's how you can possess life. The life of a believer. Your obstacles will be turned into opportunities. Many men may revile you, but it is just an opportunity to reveal God's love in you. The revival, or the reviling will be turned into revelation. Hardship may hurt, hurl themselves at us, but you will find them opening up new avenues of hope into a braver, stronger, and more fruitful character. Your difficulties will be turned into doors because life belongs to you. When you dispossess yourself of yourself and give it to Christ and you take up Christ and Christ begins to live through you, uh, you begin to see how joyful even the worst of days can be. I mean, even in the, even in the face of the stones hurling at Stephen in Acts chapter 7, the Bible says they saw his face as it had been in angels. They smote him with the rocks of their murderous hatred. He smote them with the radiance of a life possessed by Christ. And it was at that moment that God began to deal with a young man by the name of Saul of Tarsus that we turned, that we know was turned into the Apostle Paul and one of the greatest New Testament apostles. It was the testimony of Saul's life possessed by being dispossessed of that particular thing that triggered the thought in Saul. He recognized that Stephen had given up everything in this world, and since he had done that, God had given him something that meant so much greater. And while we're speaking about Stephen for a moment, death is also possessed by the dispossessed life. Paul did more than proclaim this truth. He proved it. With the executioner's acts being prepared for him, he gave this statement of life and death. He said, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, and not to me only, but unto all them who love his appearing. Death belonged to Paul, and Paul promised that those that love is appearing would also own death. The only way to truly love Christ's appearing is to be dispossessed of those things that hinder that sight of him in your life. And so Christ's appearing has more to do with the present life than it even does referring to the second coming of the Lord or the return of the Lord. How is he appearing in your life right now? Have you allowed things of this world, have you taken up possession of the things of this world that would hinder your recognition of what God is doing? My challenge to you, if that's the case, is to cleanse yourselves and step into the refreshing of the Word. See, the only way to recognize when he walks into the scene is to be dispossessed of those things that cloud our thinking. When you commit yourself or dedicate yourself to the things that God desires, what you're really doing is you're opening your grip to release the thing that's in your hand. You become dispossessed. One teacher said it this way, everything that I've held in my hand, I still possess. 
or no, everything that I hold in my hand, I've lost, but that which I've given over to him, I still possess. You become dispossessed of the gift only to turn around and see the new, improved, and freshly anointed possession of what God has for you. Because he'll take your past and he'll wrap it in his grace and mercy and he gives it back to you, but it's it's in a it's in a heavenly position, a graceful and glorious power. After Paul and the other apostles of the New Testament in our history, there was a noble company of men whom we call the church fathers. They were around at the beginning of the church. And one of them, his name was Chrysostom. And when the Roman emperor threatened him with banishment, if he continued to be a believer, Chrysostom replied, you cannot banish me for the world is my father's house and you cannot banish me from that. The emperor responded, well, I will take away your treasure. He, the emperor responded, to which Chrysostom said, that is impossible for my treasure is in heaven. And the empire is getting frustrated and upset now. He said, I will drive you from men and you will not have a friend left. To which Chrysostom said, no, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven with whom you cannot possibly separate me from. I will take your life, the emperor said. And Chrysostom said, no, sir, you cannot, for my life is not my own. And because of that, I have life everlasting. Death belonged to him. It belonged to him because he was dispossessed of his life and possessed by the life of Christ. So what am I trying to say tonight? What am I trying to reveal? To Here's what I want to say to you tonight. I'm saying that when we began this journey months ago at Spirit of Grace Church, through the boot camp, through what God did through Pastor Suber and Pastor Brassfield and what he's continuing to, to accomplish among us, I believe that at that point when we started, we were trying to figure out what anointing, dimension, level, whatever you want to call it, the next thing that he wanted us to possess, and he wanted us to release it to God. But we have become dispossessed of that gift, if you will, and today he wants you to become a possessor of the things that only he possesses. Only he can give life. Only he can conquer the world. Only he has conquered death. And because he has, when you and I sacrifice ourselves or empty ourselves or resign ourselves to the fact that he's in 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 discon is in is in control, I'm sorry, but when he when we become dispossessed, uh, he enters into a relationship with us that makes us no longer dispossessors of life, death, and the world, but we become a possessor of greater things. So let me take it out of the abstract and put it into something firm in the present realm today. If you become dispossessed of your life, you will become possessors of your city. Let me say it again. If you become dispossessed of your life, you will become possessors of your city. You will possess your neighborhood. You will possess your workplace. Listen, what the Lord gave Jericho, or when the Lord gave Jericho to Joshua and the children of Israel, it was because they had become dispossessed of their own ideas, their own viewpoints on battle, and became possessed by God's viewpoint of battle. I believe that if Joshua and the Israelites uh, would have failed to follow the, the prescribed steps of victory, we probably wouldn't read the account of Jericho that we read today. 
because in the soldier's mind, it didn't make sense that all they were to do was march and march silently at that. They could have denied following those steps because they were dispossessed of their own desires and they became possessors of that city. Likewise, when God possesses you, you possess your city. God has called and ordained this congregation, Spirit of Grace Church, to be the the flashpoint or the tipping point, I believe, to a great move of God and a harvest in these last days. Not because of who or what we are, but because you and I have chosen to become dispossessors of our own desires and possessors of his desires. Listen, the only way that you fail to go in the rapture is if you're too heavy. And I'm not talking about physical weight, obviously. If you have too much weight on your life, even the Lord can't make you rise. If you possess too many uh, things that weigh you down and make you too heavy, listen, Christ had to be glorified before he could ascend. The Bible says that in the twinkling of an eye, we will be raptured. No, it doesn't really say that. The Bible says in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed, not raptured. How our mortal will put on immortality, our our, um, corruption will put on incorruption. I believe that the rapture itself will maybe take a longer than a twinkling of an eye. I believe that God must glorify the bodies of uh, before those can arise. And the only way that will happen is if we possess him, not us. By our becoming dispossessed of self before the trumpet sounds, we already are possessed of him. So in that moment, the twinkling of an eye, we become glorified, and thus we have enough light to ascend with Christ. But listen, if you haven't become dispossessed of self, I challenge you to make the present yours by dispossessing yourself from him. Some people are always promising themselves and the Lord that tomorrow they're going to decide. Tomorrow they'll tackle the urgent problem. Tomorrow they'll break the wretched act. Tomorrow they'll dedicate themselves to better things. And, and all the while God is speaking in, in thunderous tones by basically saying, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the, the day of salvation. Don't wait for another day. Now, if you've already become dispossessed of yourself, it's time not to stay in that state of flux, but to begin to receive those things that God has provided. There are some that watch this tonight, and what you're seeing is you're seeing yourself because you haven't been willing to to give everything up, and so life has become frustrating. I want to challenge you just to give it over to him. If you have become dispossessed of of different things, uh, especially the flip side of being too busy for church is having all kinds of stuff done going on at the church and taking you away from your family. If we become dispossessed of our family, the way you see your family being saved, get ready because God is ready to move. And I'm sensing it in the spirit. I believe that the days of uh, the normal, if you will, are over. And what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. He's bringing us through all of the stuff that's going on in the world. And what he's asking us tonight is, are you willing to give up your life? Are you willing to give up the things that he's already given you and go to a team where you won't be used necessarily and uh, starting all over from scratch? If you're willing to do that, what you're really doing is you're saying, God, I want to be dispossessed of myself so that I can be possessed by you. 
my God, he's doing a great work. And I don't want you to miss it. And I don't want to miss it. And so together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's get a hold of this thing. Lay down our agendas, lay down our goals, and pick up his and just see what God will do. Praise God. Would you just close your eyes and, and bow together in prayer? Jesus, Lord, by your power and your spirit, I'm praying, God, that you would move and have your way. Go with each person tonight in Jesus' name.